0: about and the Tijuana Brass, I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome Fangraphs writer Ben Clemens back to the show. Ben shares his impressions of the winter meetings before we discuss a recent piece of his exploring free agency and which types of teams are actually keeping the hot stove burning. Ben also shares which rosters have him most excited for the 2020 season. The answer may surprise you. Lastly, we discuss the latest updates from the realm of sign stealing and cheating, and Ben discourages you from committing financial crimes. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of a cup of hot cocoa, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including Ben's ongoing free agency research, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel's top prospect lists, Jay Jaffe's Hall of Fame coverage, and our roster resource transaction and free agent trackers. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Ben Clemens, writer for Fangraphs, which begins right now. Hi ben.
1: Hey Meg, how's it going?
0: It's going well. Thanks for hanging out. It must be very confusing to people. I know that Dylan often finds it confusing because sometimes they'll be like, "Hey, I'm going to podcast with Ben," and he's like, ah, "That's not specific." You we're always a pretty popular do that. Baseball name, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many Bens. A lot of Bens. A lot of Craigs. Folks floating around. Ben, it is 2020. You were the first Fangraphs audio guest in 2020.
1: Yeah, I guess it's early in 2020, so it's not that weird, but I'm pretty pleased with it.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about a number of things on the podcast today. Before we look ahead to stuff, you attended your first winter meetings this year. Well, I guess technically last year, but in this off season, I should say.
1: Yeah, it was awesome.
0: Did you enjoy yourself? That was your first one, right? I'm, I'm not wrong to think that it was your first one. Yeah,
1: first one, first real like baseball industry thing I'd ever done. Mm-hmm. I've been to spring training, but I don't think that counts.
0: No, it's a little, spring training's a little different. Spring training is just increasingly, I mean, not for fangrass folks when they go in like a professional capacity, but spring training is just increasingly vacation, which is nice. It's a nice, it's a nice way to do vacation.
1: Yeah, like a hundred percent of the time that I went to spring training was with my grandparents. So Aww. it's not quite the same uh, baseball industry deal as winter meetings.
0: No, your grandparents weren't sitting there thinking about war when they were... When they were at spring training.
1: I mean, to be fair, not everyone at the winter meetings was. I guess
0: that's true too. So you enjoyed yourself. How did you find winter meetings? Was there anything about it that was surprising to you as someone who had heard about winter meetings but had not previously attended?
1: Well, you know, they weren't that baseball-y, if that makes sense. (laughs) At the end of the day, it was just kind of a bunch of men and women. I mean, honestly, mostly men. Yeah. Wearing you know, professional but casual looking clothes and standing around in bars and talking about work. And I've done things like that before. This was much baseballier, but I was surprised (laughs) by how much like any other professional conference it felt.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, well, I I haven't been to oh so many winter meetings myself. I will say that San Diego lived up to my expectations of it being better than Las Vegas. Yeah,
1: it's hard for me to imagine a better place for them.
0: Oh, it's so—it's just really nice because you get to—you know—the the hotel that Fangraphs folks stayed at was not the conference hotel, and so we'd have to make our way over to the conference hotel, and so you just had to go outside. That was nice. You—we—we we barely went outside in Vegas in a way that made me feel like a vampire. But it is funny that you say that it wasn't very basebally because compared to say last year's winter meetings, this one felt very basebally because we had so much activity. Although, oh yeah,
1: lots of baseball stuff happened. Yeah. That was also really exciting. I don't know if that will be topped.
0: Yeah. I ha- I have a hard time imagining that we will get another series of days quite like the series of days we got in San Diego where we had Strasburg and then Cole and then Rendon go back to back to back. Yeah. But but the funny thing about those signings, at least I don't know if this is how you experienced it, but it is the way I experienced it, is that you know, the room I was in was different and the dramatic exit from dinner was different than what I typically do <laughs> when I'm going to go edit something. But I ended up just sitting in a room in front of my computer doing work. So in that respect, it was very similar to what I normally do.
1: <laughs> yeah, there were so many like signings and trades that week that I think I wrote five or six articles that week yeah and so I was in my hotel room a lot
0: yeah you were quite busy
1: just kind of you know sitting there with a laptop just like I was at home except like slightly less comfortable chair yeah yeah that also kind of made it a little feel a little more surreal that I was at these meetings but really I was just spending a lot of time in a hotel room by myself writing
0: yeah. It it is a it's a strange it's just a strange scene. It's a weird mix of folks. It is a place where I feel simultaneously like I know everyone and know no one. I did a very bad job of being social because I was so busy editing. So it was it was an odd winter meetings, but it was nice to get to see folks. It was the first time we had met you in person, Ben.
1: Yeah. That was a uh, that was really interesting because I worked here for eight months yeah almost a year maybe yeah without meeting anyone yep (laughs) and we all met up at a bar i think i I think appleman was there when i got there and craig and david Lorela. and i kind of knew what craig looked like and everyone looked like and i everyone else just had to guess yep and everyone in baseball looks or everyone at these baseball meetings looks kind of similar yeah a lot of beards yeah a lot of uh like pullovers and stuff and I kind of stood there at the entrance of the bar like, someone say hi.
0: Yep. <laughs> there are a number of much more real and weighty and meaningful reasons that the diversity of both the the baseball writing corps and the, the front office crew around the league needs to be more diverse. Um, there are a lot of reasons that are much more important than the one I'm about to name. But yes, it would be a lot easier to just... Uh, Spot people. If there were more different kinds of folks uh, hanging around, it is a very trivial reason. Uh, I want to emphasize that I know how trivial it is, but it is a, a real one. Uh, it is strange as a woman because people will often be like, "You're Meg," and I'm like, "Are you just guessing? Because there aren't very <laughs> many of us, and it's not a bad guess." So yeah, it would
1: also help there be fewer Craigs per yeah, capita. F-
0: yeah, exactly. Many, many benefits. Uh, the most important of which is justice and good stories. But there are a lot of ancillary benefits too. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself in San Diego, and now, and now you are the newest full time employee of Fangraphs, which we're very excited about.
1: I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm really like still pretty giddy.
0: Yeah, you must have made a good impression.
1: <laughs> yeah, <I had laughs> exactly three days to prove my um, worth, and I had to fly back home.
0: Yeah. Well, you're a good egg, Ben. We're we're happy to have you. We're gonna talk about some free agent stuff. You have written a lot about free agents and free agency, sort of as a, a macro concept, in the last couple of months, including a piece that I thought was quite good about sort of which sorts of teams are signing free agents. Because obviously, this uh, winter has been much busier, uh, at least in the early going, than some of the m- more recent off seasons we've had. It seems like for the vast majority of contracts that we've written about as a site we've been able to say that the value of the deal has surpassed our estimates both kylie mcdaniel's estimates and also the crowd's estimates for our top 50 free agent posts. which is sort of a a welcome relief after a couple of years of stinginess
1: yeah it's hard to know how much of it is just that we got a little pessimistic yeah but beating expectations is still good
0: yeah it is nice, uh, particularly when expectations are low, to exceed them because then you're less disappointed by the general state of things. And it's been nice to have so much to write about. And there have been many other macro stories around baseball that I think have left people sort of a pessimistic mood. So it is nice that we at least have a, a vibrant um, free agent period to sort of counterbalance that as people who like to not be bummed out all the time. And I think early in the in the going here, there was this sense among folks, I think maybe Largely driven by the activity of the White Sox and the Angels in signing uh, Rendon, that there were a couple of teams that had not been real playoff contenders the year before that were suddenly in the mix, and I think people had a sense that suddenly uh, the the teams that had not been trying to win were trying to win. And you did you did some analysis of that, and did that optimism prove to be useful or accurate? Ben? Yeah,
1: um, not really. We were guess- we were
0: so hopeful when we were talking about it as you were pitching this idea that we would we would discover a, a promising trend
1: I pitched it with a conclusion already yeah because it just seemed so obvious
0: yeah and I thought yeah that conclusion seems true go go prove that to be true
1: but I guess the silver lining is that I found out that bad teams have always signed free agents yeah more than we thought yes so it feels like these teams that are in the middle are trying for the first time in a long time and that no one's been doing that recently at all And if you look at the data, that's just not true. Like last year, a third of like all the war signed in free agency was by teams that were right on the borderline of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. The year before was about a third as well. 2016 was 40%. I don't remember these things, but then I looked back at last season's free agency and I mean, Machado and Harper both signed for teams that didn't make the playoffs. Yep. It's kind of weird, I guess, because it was so late in the off season and because it feels like the Phillies were already mostly complete. Yeah, that those didn't seem as momentous. But I guess it was, I mean, partially annoying that I had this pitch that was not (laughs) what reality was. But it was also like partially kind of nice that teams are, they have been trying more than we thought.
0: Yeah, and I think that um, you know, and subsequent to that piece, I know you are currently working on a, a follow up that will run a little later this week at the site. You know, subsequent to that, we've had additional signings. The White Sox have remained busy. For instance, I think that am I and I'm right to think that there have been some Reds signings subsequent yeah. to you publishing this. So some of the math might change a little bit. You don't have. And to,
1: interestingly, you know. like really bad teams have been doing most of the signing since our last update and yeah. bad in my cutoff was below 75 wins
0: yeah so what are some of the transactions we want to highlight there the activity of the detroit tigers might be some
1: the blue jays with ryu that oh, was a pretty right. big signing edwin Encarnacion went to the white Sox. looking down the list there's some you know like kind of boring-ish signings no yeah. offense tanner roark no offense jason castro and julio teheran cj Brown is
0: very offended
1: Jose Iglesias. Yeah. As I looked down the list, there there's a lot of these kind of average players who are signing to bad teams. Gio signed with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Scope's going to the Tigers. Corey Dickerson's going to the Marlins. None of those guys are good, but they're all average and good major leaguers. And if I was going to see a baseball game, I wouldn't mind seeing them there.
0: Yeah. If you were a fan of any of those teams, you'd be like, hey, I've, I've heard of Gio Gonzalez. That's yeah, a exactly. big That's a big leaguer name I know.
1: I would absolutely prefer to see Gio Gonzalez to a Rule 5 pick who you're hoping to make into a middle reliever next year.
0: Yeah, I think that the the difference... And, like, the Padres are a good recent example of this. You know, they went from being a team that had... Like, what did they have? They had three Rule 5 picks just on their roster all year in 20... What was that, 2017? 2017, I think. And then now, you know, now they have Manny Machado and Tatis and all all these fun guys. So it does... And, you know, they, they won more games, they didn't win so many more games, they didn't go to the playoffs, but, you know, appreciably different experience of the team, I would imagine as a Padres fan than when it's like rule five dudes who, you know, you're assuming are going to get returned by the end of the year and then realize, oh, no, they were there long enough to <laughs> to yeah. stick around for the full season.
1: So I don't know how much of baseball's revenue still comes from in person, like actual gate attendance.
0: It's an increasingly small percentage, which is a concerning trend. It decoupling, the sort of overall revenue stream decoupling from in-person attendances.
1: Yeah, it's not great. Not a great trend. But that, I think, is one reason that you should try. Uh, I had met season tickets for a while. And man, there was one year where they just gave up in August. And in September, there was no one there. And they just gave away tickets. And I just thought... I had every Saturday for the season, and I had these three tickets left. Like, what a sucker I am to buy these when the team just gives up. Yeah, And I think that that, avoiding that feeling is kind of part and parcel of signing these kind of okay guys to fill out your roster. Now, some teams seem to not care about that with the TV deals and all, but I like that it seems like this year more teams are trying to do that
0: well and it's a it's a set of teams that i think is you know some of it is addressing real need on the roster some of some teams just seem inclined to or maybe not inclined but are open to it as an as a approach to you know trying to scrap together marginal wins on an already good roster i mean the nationals have been so busy they've been so busy in the last 2 weeks They've been busy in the last two weeks. They've signed Will Harris and Starling Castro and they signed Thames and-
1: Daniel uh, Hudson.
0: yeah, Yeah, Daniel Hudson. Oh, they got all kinds of guys grouped by date. Oh, I need to sort by date. Look at me not doing this the right way. I'm such a goof. But yeah, so they've you know there's been there's been all this activity, and you look around and you're like, well, these guys aren't even all together. They maybe project to total something close to what Rendon did, and you'd rather have Rendon. And there's a reason the Nationals are still in the Josh Donaldson race, but it feels active and purposeful. You'd rather watch Anthony Rendon than Estrada Cabrera but you'd rather watch as dribble Cabrera than a lot of guys.
1: Yeah. I, I'll give you active. I'm not sure I'd give you purposeful. It kind of seems like they're just signing everyone who walks past their office. <laughs> uh, Starling Castro, you're in town. Cool. Could we interest you in a contract?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that if I were a Nationals fan, and again, you know, you have written this, you, you wrote this, I think, perhaps, if I'm recalling correctly, about Will Harris, <laughs> maybe, but, you know, projecting a, a bunch of stability in a bullpen always feels a little silly. Oh, no, yeah. this is when you were writing about the Padres bullpen, excuse me. But if I'm a Nationals fan, I am probably the most excited about seeming uh, improvement in stability in the relief core. That seems like the thing that I would be the most jazzed about if it were me.
1: I would think that, except that they did this last year. They yeah. signed a lot of relievers last year. And it, I mean, they won the World Series, so it didn't work out that badly. But the bullpen worked out as badly as possible.
0: Yes. Yes. But the nice thing is that Will Harris is good. So, yeah, Will Harris
1: is a lot more of a stable commodity than Tommy John, Trevor Rosenthal, or yeah. Kyle Bearclaw at any point in his career.
0: Yeah. So, well, we will not be overly optimistic about any reliever ever because it just feels very silly to, to do that. We will grant Nationals fans permission to feel somewhat more comfortable with the the set of guys that they have than they may have at, at prior points because, you yeah. know, Daniel Hudson, Sean Doolittle, Will Harris, that's a reasonable group. Tanner Rainey, yeah. maybe they I think Wander like Suero
1: is pretty good, actually. I yeah. don't know why the Nationals seem to have... Pushed him a little down the depth chart. Maybe he was just tired at the end of a year. He pitched yeah. a lot of innings, but I think he's really good. I think he might be. He might be better than Will Harris right now.
0: Yeah, I expect that. Well, we'll see. But I wouldn't be surprised if he sort of forces the issue because I agree with you. I I am a fan of him. He's he had a he had a pretty impressive twenty nineteen look at him and you're like hey look you, you seem to have figured some stuff out we won't make you give away any of the conclusions of your next piece so i will just ask a, a broader question which is for you ben who who do you think has changed their fortunes the most dramatically in a positive way just on a team level whose games do you think you're more likely to watch on mlb tv now than you maybe were a year ago this is
1: going to be a cop-out but it's one of two teams and one is the angels just because i really like rendon yeah they're going to have a back pitching so that's you know, a nice bonus, but they didn't really do anything to get that, but they've, they've gotten a lot more exciting, maybe not entirely through things they've done, but also through things they've done. Yeah. You know, signing Rendon is a really big deal and that'll just be a really fun team. I'm definitely going to watch more of them. I also live on the West coast now and I'm getting more used to watching West coast games. Seems like you get a lot of Angels and Mariners games.
0: Yeah. Well, and you're in San Francisco, so you'll actually be able to watch the Dodgers theoretically. Yeah, that's
1: true. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The Giants are not one of these. Not my other team, by the way. I don't know how many local games I'll watch overall. Uh, The other team I think is interesting is the White Sox. They just, I don't know if they'll be good. Uh, We still have them projected four or five wins behind the Indians and also two or three behind the Twins. They might be good. And if they are good, it'll be good in a pretty fun way. They have some good young players coming up. I'm just really excited for all the headlines you can make with Nick Madrigal.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Also to see Nick Madrigal play, but his Mm -hmm. name is better than his talent, and his talent's really good, so
0: you uh you were not with us in cleveland for this year's all-star game but while we were in cleveland for this year's all-star game on well we were not there for the all-star game itself but when we were there on sunday which is when the futures game happened there was a gentleman in a full custom nick magical white Sox jersey like the the major league jersey you know he wow. had one of the good you know those white Sox throwbacks they have uh with the you know the bold uh middle bit and i i didn't stop to bother him because he's a stranger and i was actually there just watching the the game not as credentialed media so i had a, a beer in hand it had to have been nick magical's father or uncle, I mean, uncle. yeah, because I can't imagine even. I, I know that there are devoted White Sox fans, and I know that people get excited about prospects, but I feel like it had to have been a family member.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, pro- probably.
0: <laughs> but I did, I did wish. I did wish that I had a pitch pipe with me to start a, you know, because magical singers. I'm going to be the (laughs) worst about this. It's going to be awful. People are going to be really. I'll I'll,
1: I'll probably be up there. Yeah.
0: I am similarly excited about the White Sox. I am excited to watch the Reds.
1: Yeah, they'll be really exciting. I watched a lot of the Reds last year because I'm a Cardinals fan and the Reds also fought the Pirates a lot. And that was enough to get me watching because (laughs) I was curious what happened in the next game. Otherwise, I would, have li- I would have listed them, but they'll be exciting next year too.
0: Yeah, that'll that'll be a, a fun a fun situation. It seems like just the the general fortunes in terms of my my interest in watching them of the teams in the various centrals has improved.
1: Yeah, I it's think nice. the NL Central might be kind of sneaky bad next year, oh. but they'll all be bad equally. <laughs> so that's probably exciting.
0: I don't, know. I don't think
1: a lot of those teams—well, the Reds did a lot to get better. I don't think the Brewers, Cubs, or Cardinals did, and they weren't the best—you know, they were probably the worst division at the top in the NL. Probably the the best in the middle, Yeah. but the worst at the top, and none of them really got better. I mean, the Cubs seem to have kind of actually gotten worse.
0: I was shocked to, you know, sometimes you have a general sense of things and then someone confronts you with a data point that confirms that general sense you have, but in a way that is far more dramatic than even you were anticipating. And Jeff Passan was tweeting some of the the totals for teams and what they have spent thus far in free agency this year. And the Cubs have spent, now this has changed because, oh no, it hasn't changed. What am I talking about? no it has not changed they have spent less money than the mariners than the seattle mariners
1: have have they spent money They've
0: spent zero dollars. That's why it hasn't changed. <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't, I don't think they I was. Have. I thought to myself, a thing that happened in my brain just now as I was about to correct myself and then realize that I was erring was that I had confused Steve Cieszek who did at one point pitch for the Cubs but does not currently pitch for the Cubs was going to say that he was pitching for the Cubs, but no, he signed with the other Chicago baseball team today. And so my, my brain tried to forgive the Cubs with a reliever signing, which isn't really much anything at all and then was wrong so no they've spent zero dollars in free agency and the mariners have spent well more than zero dollars and so yeah that's central i don't know i mean I don't presumably know
1: what they've called people and maybe they can expense their cell phone bills and get it above <laughs> zero but it's not great
0: not it's not they the also
1: best. missed the playoffs last year it's not yeah. as though they're pulling in indians where they think they're so far ahead that they can right. afford to take a step back they definitely can't afford to take a step back they didn't look that good last year
0: no I am excited. I think the thing apart from the Reds that I am most excited about for the Central is just to watch Jack Flaherty with the attention that he deserves. So that'll be, that'll be fun on the Cardinals side. But yeah, the Cubs cannot boast a similar attraction. So yeah. that's going to uh, be-
1: You know what, Meg? I take it back. They have signed some minor league deals. They signed Jarrell Cotton.
0: Right, but they didn't. They didn't do any. Yes, and I. I they have not signed any major league. Yeah,
1: no major leaguers. Agents, still That's which I think bad.
0: Yeah, which I think Passon specified in his tweet, even though I underspecified it here. Yeah, I think that Jeff, because he is a professional, was clearer on that score. So yeah, so it's a it's wow. disconcerting.
1: Darrell Cotton hasn't pitched in the majors in two years. I had no yeah. idea. I guess he had Tommy John, but
0: yeah, he's been hurt. He's been hurt, so that's been bad. Well, I guess the Cubs might be our answer to which team has done the either done the least or done nothing to improve their fortunes. I'd put them on that list, I guess, yeah, along with— I think they're uh, number one. They're number one. Cleveland sits up there because you just— uh,
1: I'm kind of unsure what Cleveland's doing by trading Kluber. I understand the, like, you can't trade this guy because he's hurt and we don't know how good he is, but theoretically the Indians should have the best grasp on that.
0: Right, my my take on the Kluber situation, and I instinctively like clicked over to the uh, to Cleveland's depth chart at Fangraphs, looking for Corey Kluber, nowhere to be found. As we just as we just mentioned, I am surprised that they did not receive anything better in terms of trade offers, which suggests to me one of two things. Either they're just really committed to making further moves down the line and tearing down to the extent that this will be probably one of the smaller moves they make compared to, say, moving Lindor, or there's something really funky with the medical that we don't know about because otherwise you would imagine they would want him to pitch and rebuild some value and try to move him at the deadline because everyone needs starting pitching at the deadline. So I wonder if there's something really funky with the medical, but mostly I just think that their organizational direction seems to be a bit confused. So that's troubling because.
1: Yeah, I don't like the general direction they've been going in the yeah. past, call it two years, where they've really put the retool and keep going thing way past its logical conclusion. Yeah. And tried to retool while they were the best team, yeah. But to the point where they weren't, yeah. I don't really get that, but I I don't hate this Kluber deal as much as everyone else. I mean, I really like Emmanuel Classe. so
0: you do. <laughs> yes, more
1: more from a personal standpoint than anything else. He's really fun to watch. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if he was great, just great, yeah. great, great. In I don't know, in a year. If in 2021 he has more WAR than Corey Kluber, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's not crazy. That means Kluber's an average pitcher and Class has a great reliever. It's not very yeah. likely. Yeah, but I don't dislike that move for them as much as I disliked doing nothing else last off season. Yeah, I guess they've signed Cesar Hernandez this off season, so that's better. Yeah, and that is a big problem with their team is that they just need more average people. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's basically why they didn't make the playoffs last year is their outfield was so bad in the first yeah. half of the season. Yeah. So in that sense, I like what they're doing with signing Hernandez, but I kind of think that they traded Kluber more for money than for talent. And that yeah. sucks, even if I don't know how much more they could have gotten for him.
0: Yeah, I think that it is a it's a disconcerting thing because... If he had been the if he had been the move, and then they had done some subsequent moves to bring in more, you know, depth or slightly above replacement level talent to supplement what they had, I might be able to look past it, even if I don't like it. But there's just been persistent rumors with other parts of their roster that suggest that that is not what they're going to end up doing if they're able yeah. to get deals to their liking. You know, there's this persistent Lindor rumor, you know, there's been whispers of a Clevenger deal, which really changes the complexion of that rotation. Because you look at their rotation as it's currently constituted, you're like, this is actually a pretty good group, even without Kluber. But if they move any of the dudes at the top, that changes pretty dramatically. So it's a bummer because they have some players who are such great fun to watch and you want them surrounded by complementary pieces that make you similarly excited. And
1: They start, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I suppose there's a bit of an Astros thing here where in a vacuum, maybe this is okay, but when you think about the larger context of all the things they've done in the past few years, you're like, oh, this actually does look worse if you think about all the other things they do.
0: Yeah, it bums you out. I guess that's a good transition to being bummed out. Shall we be bummed out about some stuff now? (laughs)
1: Yeah, you know, I'm always up for it.
0: Do we want to talk about cheating? Let's talk about some cheating.
1: I don't know how much cheating bums me out, to be honest.
0: Well, this is a question that I had for you. So to so today we are recording this on Tuesday and uh, Ken Rosenthal and Emundrelic published a report that the Red Sox are now being implicated in their own sign stealing scandal. It took Shocking. on uh, sl- yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, it took on a slightly different approach. They took a different approach and it has a slightly different vibe than the Astros, but they have been named here as, as stealing signs during the regular season in 2018. Man, Alex Kaur is just having a hell of an off season. So that has happened. And I think that there was a sense when the Astros um, sign stealing stuff came out that while they may have inspired folks within the game to be especially motivated to disclose their bad behavior, perhaps because of some other, you know, cultural issues within the organization that they were probably in all likelihood, not the only team that was engaged in this, which shouldn't be surprising since, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox were told to knock it off by baseball. Previously. And so now we have another set of of reports in the Athletic around this. And I guess the first question is, is there a version of cheating (laughs) that you are comfortable with, Ben? Is there a version of this that does not offend your sense of fairness? And perhaps it is this version, but but how do you how do you feel about cheating?
1: I guess we're verging towards hot takes audio instead of fangrafts audio, but I mostly don't mind cheating within reason, like you can't just be going crazy, but I think that like trying to pick the corners of rules to get edges is mostly okay. I don't think this qualifies. I think that this is pretty obviously against the rules and also has bad secondary effects, which is that it makes games longer and it makes games longer in a boring way. Not like, oh, there's so many home runs. I haven't met this game all night. That's not so bad. But, oh, he stepped off again. Oh, right. They're changing signs again. Right. That's not the kind of longer baseball that I want. And so I think that that is not okay. If you're talking about, I don't know, players doing their own sign stealing or doing right. their own pitch tipping, I'm basically completely okay with that. I'm not even yeah. sure that's cheating, to be honest.
0: It at least is being grandfathered in, right, as just a thing that happens and has happened in baseball for a long time. I like, there's like a, a savvy and a wiliness to a runner on second being able to figure out what the signs are and then relay that to his teammate through his own, again, smarts.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like if somebody yeah. erases the like the front of the batter's box to step up or the back to step back. It's cheating, but it's like kind of cool and they're using their own intuition. Yeah. I, this doesn't really feel like that to me.
0: Yeah. It. I mean, it, it has a different, this is not true, of, at least as far as we know, I don't think of of the Red Sox. You know, once machine learning became part of the Astros thing, I was like, well, this isn't, this isn't your grandfather's sign stealing.
1: So here's a question for you. Yeah. Let's say they didn't actually do the trash can part, but instead their plan was to watch these really complex signals with a camera with machine learning, but not live. Right. And then they would just give the players packets that say, "Hey, when you're standing on second, our Look computers have cracked it." If you see this, wait. Yeah. Would that be okay? Cuz I think that'd be okay.
0: So here's here's the way I would answer that question. I don't know if that would be okay, but I think I would have a very hard time articulating why it would be meaningfully different than any other form of advanced scouting. Yeah. And I think that was why when the Astro stuff was coming out, you know, I think it's kind of doofy to maybe put your plan for that kind of stuff in an email, but I don't think that like what was outlined as advanced scouting by Kevin Goldstein is really that different than what we probably would see in other organizations. And even among those that aren't using cameras to do it, like the the idea of it is sort of similar. So, you know. Yeah,
1: I agree. I don't think I have a problem with use of cameras. I have a problem with the transmission part that lets you get it live. Right in such a way that it makes it very hard for their team to communicate openly.
0: Right. And and I I think that, you know, it's not that different than knowing here is a pitcher's tendency in a particular count at this in this game state, right? It's not yeah. all that different than the other kinds of advanced scouting that you might get, but I do think that you have hit upon the thing that that clearly differentiates it is one the real-time aspect of it means that you're interfering with in-game strategy and the ability, you're interfering with the ability of the other team to adapt to your game state, right? Because you have short circuited their ability to communicate with one another in a way that I think, you know, we could probably solve by introducing headsets or whatever, at least to some degree, but. Then you um, get a Patriots
1: problem though, right? Your headset goes out whenever you're playing in Houston.
0: Right. Right. So there's that problem. I mean. I do
1: think also like machine learning is over vilified in this technology. People get angry at me, but it's essentially just regressions. Like, it's a lot of regressions. They're doing a bunch, but it's still just regressions. Like it's. it's I love it when some... people
0: pick fights on Fangraphs audio with an audience that isn't here. Yeah, <laughs> someone's th- gonna be like, "That's underselling machine learning," but I I know what you mean, Ben.
1: Yeah, I mean it does. It's very powerful because it can work with really big data sets and such, right. and figure out its own correlations and all that. But I mean, it's not like wildly different from things that have existed before. And I don't think that these signals are so complex that you need right <laughs> teams of PhDs to break them down. No. Like the rule is like, if there's one out, then it's the second signal I put down. Right. And then you get a supercomputer on it and they're like, it's the second signal, guys.
0: Right, right. So I think that you're right that there is a part of it that is, it is different. It feels categorically different when it's relayed in real time. And I think that it also has this unpleasant aesthetic effect that you've described, which is that it lengthens games in a way that we're really not keen on because it is, you know, it is irritating after a while to have the guy stepping off so much. But you're like, well, what what else is he supposed to do? This does sort of change the way I feel about the mound visit rule as I'm sitting here and thinking about it. Yeah. Although some of the worst offenders on the mound visit stuff were on the Astros, so who even knows?
1: Well, I don't know how much the people who annoyed me about mound visits were even affected by this, though, because the two worst to me are the Cardinals and the Cubs. And they they haven't... I mean, the Brewers have been kind of soft implicated in this, but not really. Yeah. Only by Darvish kind of making some backhanded, not even serious comment about him thinking Yellich was looking into the outfield.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that people are are looking around for where there's Astro's DNA. Right. Right. And I don't say that to exonerate the the Brewers I just think that 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 is part of where that assessment yeah, and they're the a ways down
1: the chain from the yeah. Astros and Red Sox I yeah. think and even the Yankees but the Cardinals and Cubs are consistently using all their mound visits Well, not consistently using them all but they're consistently among the league leaders and most used and oh it's just yeah. there's no reason for it and it's Molina going out there and he pats the guy on the back and hey that's nice you know I don't <laughs> know once a game <laughs> it happens a lot and Wilson Contreras is going out there and I guess they the frequently. same thing. Yeah. Quite frequently. So I still don't mind the mound visit rule. I do see how catchers don't like having their freedom impinged upon when also teams are trying to steal their signs.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's kind of a, it's they're caught between a rock and a hard place there a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. So here's then the next question, which is that we have established that we think this is this sort of an uh, importantly different kind of cheating than the one that we find to be wily and charming and part of baseball. And so I guess the question then is, what do we think the appropriate response is from Major League Baseball when faced with when faced with this? Because in all likelihood, as we have said, the the Astros and the Red Sox will will not be the last teams that are implicated in something like this and we will probably get a growing list before opening day. And so what what approach do we think the league ought to take to to this sort of thing?
1: So this is great because we'll likely be proven wrong before this goes up even. <laughs> so people probably won't remember too much, which lowers the pressure. I've been thinking about this for a little bit now, and it it's a tough question because I don't think there's any chance of them vacating World Series wins, and I also no. don't think that's a very good punishment.
0: No, I don't either.
1: I've never really bought the whole vacating wins thing as meaningful. Like, I think Derek Rose, his Memphis year in college basketball had all their wins vacated and like... I don't care. Like, I, I remember watching those teams. They were fun. Uh, I don't think anything would be different if they vacated the Astros World Series. I'd be like, they still won that one.
0: Yeah. Well, and the money's been counted and spent, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> the way that you can make teams care about things is to find them, Yeah. essentially. Like, find them a lot of money, dock them draft picks, because draft picks are essentially money. Yeah. Just don't let them get the same amount of output for the same amount of input. I think... Everything is just gonna be a variation on that. And I think owners have shown in baseball over the past few years that they care most about money, which means that there's a pretty easy way to punish them. I don't know if punishment for the players is all that appropriate.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't seem as if, at least based on what we've heard reported thus far, that players will be the primary focus of of league punishment.
1: Right. And I think that's appropriate. Yeah. I think it's very hard to be a player and have your team say, We've worked out this scheme. We're going to tell you when the pitches are coming. And you'd be like, no, I'm good, man. Like, I know that you guys have my rights for the next six years, but uh, pass. Yeah. That just, it's unrealistic to expect them to do that. And they weren't doing some obviously, obviously wrong thing. They were doing a thing that feels bad, but that they had veterans and presumably management, presumably a lot of management telling them was okay and that they were all doing. And obviously they were telling them every other team's doing this too. You have to. I think punishing the players would be wrong. But like, let's say they find the Astros $20 million. That would be a lot. The next time that someone in the front office is like, hey, I have this idea. We're going to use radios. Like immediately ownership would just say, nope. <laughs> like, if you suggest it any further, you're fired. I can't afford $20 million for this. Right. And I think that would be the way to make these stop happening. Yeah. I don't know whether they want to really kind of rub the Astros' face in it and show everyone, hey, look, this is what happens to you if you do this. Baseball doesn't have a black eye. It was this one team. I think that's probably not a smart idea because, like you said, probably a a lot of more teams are doing it. Yeah. Like You want to be really careful about saying this is beyond the pale and if you do this, we're going to make your life just miserable and then have 17 teams come out and have had it happen. Yeah. That would not be great. I would like to see just a, a big money fine, basically. The draft picks thing, the only thing I don't like about it is that it kind of lets the teams off the hook in that then in a few years they can say oh we got to rebuild we don't have enough in the farm system whereas if you yeah. just if you dock them 20 million dollars and then they say oh we have to rebuild because we're fined then it's clear that all they care about is the money like all the talent on hand is the same yeah and you got the same draft picks and you just didn't want to spend money to win if you take away draft picks and they say oh well look we don't have any players it's not our fault we had to rebuild it kind of gives them an easy way out but if you just say hey, your competitive balance is the same as before. You know, you have the same players, you can draft like normal, and uh, yeah, you now are missing a bunch of money. I think that that accomplishes the twin goals of telling ownership seriously knock it off, guys, and not letting them just make up for it by rebuilding.
0: Yeah, I think that there is a... Well, part of what I am keen to see the league do. And I don't know that they will necessarily have a problem being clear-eyed about this. I think that there is a sense among uh, baseball folks, both fans and analysts and even some people I've talked to who work for teams that are not the Astros, that they their, their reaction to Houston is, get them. And some of yeah. that is about sign stealing, and some of that is about a lot of other unsavory, yucky stuff that the team has participated in. Um, that has come to light in the last couple of months. Yeah, sign stealing
1: was only the second grossest thing right. that came out of about the Astros after the ALCS. Like- yeah,
0: so I don't say this because I don't think that there shouldn't be consequences for the Taubman stuff and hopefully a very long and hard look in the mirror on the part of the organization about that. But I want to, one, be clear that the th- we're punishing the team for specific things. Like I want to... I don't want that rolled into one big sort of fine or pulling of draft picks. I want it to be really clear that we're punishing them for a sign stealing or the other stuff because I just want to make sure that we're giving the other stuff the airspace that it still needs because we kind of haven't talked about Taubman in a while. And I think that as a persistent cultural issue, that one is probably as important to address as the sign stealing. But setting that part aside, I think that you're right that you have to get ownership to – view this as a problem because I think we have this sense of the owners as a cohesive unit that is working in tandem often with the commissioner's office. And I think that sense is born of them being in an antagonistic relationship with labor. And so our sense of that is understandable, but this is a place where I think we can see very clearly that, yes, they have some interests that are coherent and cohesive, but they also are trying to beat up on each other at the team level <laughs> right. and so you need to if you want to have honest actors there need to be consequences for transgressions i mean you and i both have a background in finance and i'm not saying that financial regulators have this all figured out but it is sort of a funny thing like the the way that that markets deal with this is to have a regulator
1: <laughs> right i should add cheating and finance bad don't like that Just oh yeah sports. we're yeah
0: we feel very comfortable as a podcast saying that we are opposed to financial crime. Do not endorse <laughs> financial crime. Official
1: editorial position.
0: Yeah, it's the official editorial position of Fangraphs Audio and Fangraphs.com. Meg, I'll
1: admit, I was just daydreaming for a second because if there's any team in baseball that doesn't have mirrors, it would be the Astros. I could absolutely see Luna saying, every second you spend looking at yourself is the second you're not improving our team. Why are uh, you getting ready in the morning? Just come to the stadium.
0: <laughs> the the relentless and ruthless pursuit of efficiency. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, it sounds like we're going to hear from the league in fairly short order on, at least on the Astros, although their investigation into the Red Sox, it's not quite clear where they are in that, although I would imagine that it has probably been, uh, their, their look into sign stealing has probably been ongoing and has led them in all kinds of directions. So I think that what we will do, Ben, because we're coming up on the 46-minute mark, is we will stop there. Uh, we will bring you back to talk about more free agent stuff and also sign stealing and just baseball generally. Ben, where can people find you on Twitter?
1: Oh, man. It, this is hard to say out loud. It's underscore Ben underscore Clemens. That's pretty annoying. Is I was there, hoping I would get Ben Clemens in the great Twitter purge.
0: Is there? And you're, it's not going to happen?
1: Uh, I don't have to, so probably mm. not.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. Well, people should follow you on Twitter. They can find your writing at Fangraphs. Uh, we will link to your prior free agent update, and then by the time this posts, hopefully to your new free agent update, uh, depending on where that shakes out versus the editing of this podcast. But Ben, thanks for joining me, and hey, welcome to Fangraphs again.
1: Thanks and thanks. Yeah, I'm really happy I'm here. So I I don't know what to say other than just like yeah, I'm thrilled.
0: Yeah, well, we're thrilled to have you, and we'll have you back on this show real soon.
1: Awesome.